Good morning, everyone. So great to see you. And um, well done for being here. Well done for uh, not having COVID, which I think is a great, a great achievement whenever you don't have COVID. Um, actually, uh, Tara and our, two of our children have had COVID over the last uh, couple of weeks. And so I was convinced that I was uh, going to get it. But I just, I just never did. Has anyone else been in those households where other people have had it and you haven't got it? And it just m- makes you feel amazing. <laughs> you just, I started thinking, I wonder whether scientists are going to start doing experiments on me of how I'm so, just so strong and resilient and healthy. But then I... Then I remember that I just almost get almost every cold that's around. And actually, my brother used to refer to me as, as the sickly child. Um, actually, probably still does. So how that brought me down to earth a bit. Anyway, so we are going to start a new series today called True Love. And love is one of the great ideals of our society. Most people would agree that love is a good thing. But when it comes to understanding exactly what love is, and perhaps more importantly, how we're going to love one another. Things get a bit more tricky. So we're going to look at a passage in the Bible which really defines the nature of love. This is God's love for us and how we are to love one another. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to look at this passage over the next few weeks. I'm going to read all of it today and then over the next few weeks we're going to look at it almost line by line, as we try to understand more and more of what God's love is for us. So let's have a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. My father used to tell the story of uh, someone who bought a Rolls Royce. And he bought it feeling like this was a car that would never let him down. And so he bought this Rolls-Royce and was driving it. And then one day, quite early on, it broke down. So he called Rolls-Royce and they immediately sent out um, a mechanic who mended the car. And he said, please send me the bill. He drove on and all was well. And then a couple of weeks later, he realized he never received a bill from Rolls-Royce. So he called them up and said, this is what happened. I broke down. You sent out a mechanic fixed the car, and, uh, but now I need to uh, pay the bill. And he got the reply, Sir, we have no record of any Rolls Royce ever breaking down. <laughs> Today, I want to talk about just a few words within this description of love, which is that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There are two great obstacles to love. And these are the great problems which I recognize in my soul. These are the great problems in society. These are the great problems in the church. These are the two things that make being loved and loving other people really difficult. And these two things are pride 
and shame. Pride is thinking I'm better than other people, a shame is thinking I'm worse. A pride is thinking I'm more important, a shame is thinking I'm less important. Pride is thinking I'm good, shame is thinking I'm bad. A pride is thinking, uh, is not being able to admit our mistakes. A shame is not being able to escape from our mistakes. A pride is thinking there are no wrongs. Shame is living under the record of wrongs. These are the two things that are always kind of present within us, that oscillate within us. Even as children, you have that, uh, those moments with children, of children, you say, oh, I'm better than you at that. And then the next moment you feel shame because of something, and then you find yourself hiding under the duvet. And then when you become an adult, you find yourself not saying you're better than other people, but just thinking it in your head. And then you feel ashamed and, actually I think I still do sometimes hide under the duvet, out of shame. And so we oscillate between shame and pride. And in society, actually, as a dynamic, for a long time, the, the cultural narrative was one really, which was, actually, there's no such thing as doing anything wrong. As long as you're true to your own values, your own beliefs, whatever you want is, is fine and good. Which is really, there's no such thing as getting it wrong. And then, recently, that cultural narrative has broken down because we recognize there are things that are objectively wrong. Whether you're true to your own values or not, that racism is wrong, that injustice is wrong, that abuse is wrong, the destruction of the planet is wrong. And so we've moved then from a cultural narrative of pride to shame. And each of these things, all of these things are, are things that then, then we have to deal with ourselves. Uh, pride would be the, again, culturally, it would be the denial that there are any injustices in the world. A shame would be cancel culture. Again, it's this, there's nothing wrong and then living under the wrong. I've done nothing wrong, I am wrong. And these are the things that we have to wrestle with. And one of the things that happens then is we, we try to solve each of these problems with the other. So if you have a friend who's feeling ashamed and feeling consumed with shame, you respond by saying, oh, no, no, you've done nothing wrong. No, you're, no, you're absolutely right. It's other people who are in the wrong. And you respond with this. Equally, if you come across people where this is the problem, like people who can't admit they've made mistakes, can't admit they went to parties during lockdown, or whatever it might be, <laughs> we respond with shame by saying, you should be ashamed of yourself, by trying to shame people. And so these are the two dynamics that exist within each human soul. And we go back and forth. And actually, it could be so difficult. Now, actually, only just um, over the last week, the, uh, we, had a meet, we have a, a weekly meeting just reviewing our Sunday services. And someone brought up in the Sunday services that as someone during services locked the door to the kids' cabinets, locking out all the children in the cold uh, during our Sunday services. And you sort of think, that's just a terrible thing to do. And then I thought, I seem to remember closing that door during the Sunday services. <laughs> And so then you start going through your mind, trying to work out, 
can I get away with not saying anything? Uh, how, and then this kind of battle to the, oh, can I admit it? And you then also say between, oh, just trying to deny there's a problem and then feeling ashamed. <laughs> but these are not the only options for us, although we see them so much. I mean, actually, in terms of, uh, there, there's another dynamic here, which is this is boasting. And this is hiding. And then we see, if you look at um, social media, seems to be basically a lot of these two things. Hiding the things we're ashamed of, boasting the th about the things we're proud of. But there is another option, which is forgiveness. And this is central to what it means to be loved and to love one another. It's keeping no record of wrongs. The way that God loves you, the way that God loves me, is he, he keeps no record of our wrongs. He doesn't deny that there are wrongs, nor does he force us to live under the shame of what's wrong. But he keeps no record of wrongs. And whereas instead of thinking of ourselves as good or bad, we simply become those who are loved whether because of the things, though we've got things that are bad, those are things, those are good things in us, bad things in us. Actually, our identity are those who are loved. And this is what Jesus has come to do. Jesus came into the world and he died on a cross. And the death of Jesus on the cross challenges both our pride and our shame. It challenges our pride because it took the Son of God to die on the cross to deal with the things which are wrong in our lives. That is something that shatters our pride. But on the cross, Jesus took away all our sin, all our shame, all our guilt. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. We are totally cleansed. We are totally forgiven. It's all been dealt with. And so we can live in this new dynamic. And this new dynamic of love which is based on forgiveness. And Christianity is a religion of love because it is a religion of forgiveness. And so this new dynamic is instead of boasting or hiding, the new dynamic is honesty. It's one of the things I love about the Gospels. You have this beautiful picture of Jesus, the perfect human being, the perfect son of God, totally divine, totally human, totally without sin or fault. And then you have the description of the disciples who are totally useless. They are selfish and they misunderstand Jesus and they lack, fail, they lack faith and they argue with one another about who's going to be the, the greatest. Then they betray Jesus and they abandon him. And you think, oh, this is interesting. And then you realise the disciples wrote the Gospels. So you had the disciples, when the Gospels were being written... Peter saying to, to Mark, don't forget the bit about when I denied Jesus three times. You had uh, John saying, don't forget the bit where we were arguing about who was going to be the, the greatest. Thomas saying, don't, don't forget the bit where everyone else believed because Jesus had appeared to them, but I refused to believe all my closest friends until I'd seen him in the flesh. Don't forget that bit. They were so consumed by the love and the forgiveness of God. They didn't need to hide anything. They could just live in that forgiveness. It's one of the things I've 
was sort of struck by in terms of parenting, that as parents you try to be a good example to your children. But actually more than that, I think you're trying to be a good example of what it means to be forgiven. And so to model admitting when we got things wrong and asking for forgiveness from our, our children. It's really important because actually our primary example that we are is we're trying to be examples of what's right, but actually more than that, we're examples to the world of what it means to be forgiven. And so we live in this dynamic of, of honesty. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser, who's a Catholic writer, writes about how we can all exist either as conductors or as water filters. So a conductor, when the natural inclination is to, is to work as a conductor. So what happens is you just transmit whatever's going on around you. So if there's lots of hatred around you, you transmit hatred. If there's anger around you, you transmit anger. If there's violence around you, transmit violence. You just pass on what you receive and what you, what's the atmosphere, the cynicism around you um, or uh, the hatred, whatever it, it might be. And we know this. There are uh, dynamics where, you know, you find that someone's been gossiping about you and you say to a friend, have you heard who's been gossiping about me? And you just pass it on. Or you find yourself saying to your children, stop shouting at one another. And you're just passing on. You're being a conductor. Or you can be a water filter, which is where the various impurities and the things that are wrong in society, all the things done to you, go into you. But what you pass out is pure and good and right. And so you respond to hatred with love. You respond to harshness with gentleness. You respond to betrayal with loyalty. And you act as a water filter. And that is only possible through forgiveness. Forgiveness is the mechanism by which we become water filters. Uh, forgiveness, people have described it as what the kidneys are for the body. F forgiveness is for a community. It removes all things that, all the impurity and enables us to give out what is good and lovely. And this is how it's very, very difficult to love one another without forgiveness. It's very difficult to love within family, within marriage, within a community, loving your enemies, loving your friends, loving people who are close to you, if we keep records of wrong. And so we need to learn how to love one another by forgiving one another. But all of this is made possible only through what Jesus has done on the cross. He is the ultimate water filter who removes the, the sins of the world. What was uh, John the Baptist's first words about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a beautiful story in the Gospels of a man who's paralyzed and he's brought by his friends to Jesus and actually they have to make a hole in the roof in order to lower him down and he, this paralyzed man is laid at the feet of Jesus and Jesus looks at this man with these obvious, very severe physical needs and one presumes living in poverty, dependent on, on anyone even just to move or to get anywhere and he looks at this man and says to him, your sins are forgiven. The greatest need, which this man, I don't know whether this man realized that or not, whether that was what this man was looking for or not, but Jesus saw that actually his greatest need was to know that he was forgiven. 
And actually, whether we realize it or not, whether because we're living here or here, or, or most of us some kind of combination of the two, actually, we live in this, our greatest need is forgiveness. But then the Pharisees say, who can forgive sins except God alone? And of course, that's absolutely true. For this to work, we need a saviour. And this is where we are confronted with the two great questions that each of us need to face. Because this pride is thinking, I need no saviour. I'm fine as I am, I can save myself. A shame is actually my sins are so great. The problems in my life are so severe. Actually, no one can help me. And so actually, I have no saviour. But to be a Christian means to recognise that, that you both need and have a saviour. And so the question for each one of us is, do you know that you need a saviour? And also, do you know that you have a saviour? Because if you know that you need a saviour, then there's no pride. If you know that you have a saviour, that is the end of shame. And knowing that Jesus is our saviour, that is the thing that makes forgiveness possible, to know that we're forgiven and to forgive one another. And that is the first element of true love. Amen. Why don't we stand and I'll pray for, pray for us all.